So we do tailor our messaging on the multi-threading. Hey, you could use this tool for XYZ too, in addition to ABC. But that team is already leading the evaluation, but you can also benefit from it. Maybe because of what we do, we haven't seen a lot of conflicting priorities. But what we've seen usually is people want to like, hey, it benefits you too. Why don't you give me some of your budget? So people pulling in their budget to buy a tool. That's Trinity, the VP of Marketing and Account Development at UserGems. She's built out a comprehensive multi-threading strategy with an intense focus on getting her messaging right. Being a marketer, and I feel really bad saying this, but you can tell as a buyer when an email is written by marketing team, tend to be a little bit verbose, colorful language, could be like half a page long. You're lucky if it's only a half a page. (laughs) (laughs) Emails that convert now is like three sentences, 50 words. Trinity discusses the importance of nailing your messaging for multi-threaded strategies, the importance of being concise and how to get more budget while pulling in different stakeholders is really important to her strategy. We'll hear how she uses user gems along with Lavender and Laudable to maximize the engagement and response from her threading. My name's Dan. I'm the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw. Each week, I get to speak with different executives to find out the strategies and tools they're using to drive revenue. This week, I get to talk with Trinity. Let's jump in. This is interesting because like user gems is used by one of our clients. And I remember in the sales process talking to this client and I'm like, user gems? Who is user gems? And they were like, oh, you got to check out this tool. It does all these things. And either way, user gems, you guys are coming on hot, right? So I guess like help us better understand like what is user gems? What's the quick pitch? So user gems is a software that does two things. First one, it helps companies track key contacts like customers, champions when they change their jobs. And two, it surfaces the buying groups at target accounts, customer accounts, ABM accounts. So this helps revenue teams from both the new business side and post-sale side. So for new business, it identifies one path to help you break into target accounts and then multi-thread more effectively. For the post-sale side, which a lot of people are talking about these days, it helps you with preventing churns and also driving account expansion. So that's what we do. Interesting. So it's not just used in sales, it's used in post-sales as well. Yeah, essentially, it's my CEO is going to kill me for this, but... The way I describe it, it's almost like a dynamic (laughs) contact database because, you know, if you think of a lot of contact databases, a static list, this one is constantly refreshing all the time and identify relationships that you have within those and push all that data into your CRM and then links out to whatever tools you're using. So it sounds like there's a Salesforce, uh, what is it, AppExchange application that you install and then it enables you to enrich your Salesforce records based upon the data and user gems. I'm curious because there's a lot of tools that obviously like connect to Salesforce. Are users supposed to be in Salesforce using your product or do they have to go to user gems to use your product? So we do have our own interface, but most companies want to kind of stay where they're already spending the time. So we integrate with Salesforce, HubSpot, Marketo, you name it. But Salesforce and HubSpot are the two most common CRMs that we see with our customers. Now, I'm interested. So you said HubSpot and Salesforce, but you added Marketo at the end there. I'm curious, like Marketo being a marketing automation tool, right? Like, are you selling to marketing or are you selling to sales? Who's your typical like buyer? Great question. The bane of my existence, but also really fun. Um, We're actually selling to both. And every year we have to reevaluate because when you're trying to straddle two personas, it's really tricky from the messaging and positioning standpoint. But in all of our deals, we have 
what we call three musketeers, sales, marketing, and RevOps. So sales usually understands our product benefits a little bit faster. So they're usually the champion, but marketers are the one usually that buy the tools. And then RevOps are the one who evaluate and then implement. So they always, in every single deal that we have. Yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. You know, just to talk about RevOps really quickly. So it sounds like RevOps is part of the buying decision. They're not the buyer. They're definitely the implementer. But what I, I think I'm seeing more and more interesting is like RevOps being coming the buyer and like having a bigger seat at the strategy table compared to just like they're the operations people. Is that a trend you're seeing on your side too? No, absolutely. We definitely see more deals um, being led by RevOps. But I really, I think it depends on the companies too and what the focus at the time. Is it like to optimize the tax stack that's spent or is it to drive like churn prevention or drive some kind of like business related metrics? So when it's driving something like preventing churn or generating more pipeline, but do that so more efficiently, then they usually like drive those conversations with us. So I guess like when you think about that marketing use case, what is marketing using user gems for in Marketo? Depends on the setup of companies that use Marketo. Sometimes they want to protect the Salesforce contact database. So they want everything to flow through Marketo first, let marketing in, re-engage with these contacts or engage with these contacts until they hit a certain point. That's when those contacts or leads that pass over to Salesforce. We don't see that as often now. I remember in 2020, Marketo was... It came up a lot more in our conversations, but now HubSpot and Salesforce, definitely the dominant. Mm, interesting. And that's something I would recommend, like in most of the clients that we work with, is we try not to connect everything with Salesforce because Salesforce's automation kind of sucks. And we rather connect most things with Marketo because we can control the data a little bit better. So I could kind of see how that was happening. I think over the last couple of years, it's changed a little bit. But I guess like, what are the major company goals that y'all have for this year? I think it's the same for a lot of SaaS companies today. First one is efficiency. So meaning looking through everything that you're doing right now, pipeline related or not, and figure out where the waste or trying to figure out how to trim the fat. I think for efficiency metrics is number one. Second is supporting on the post-sale side. So with the markets being the way it is, new demand might not be as rich as it used to be. So focusing more on like protecting the revenue that you have and driving revenue from the existing customer base where they already know you and love you. So that's second. And the third one is we still need to grow. So in this new environment, it's kind of like a reliving of the COVID 2020 when everyone freaked out. So there must be some pockets <laughs> of growth somewhere. We just need to figure out where they are and start experimenting as efficiently as we can. <laughs> I think that's the part that most people are trying to figure out is like, where is that growth right now? How do I understand where those pockets or niches are? Uh, and it's interesting to see people getting a lot smarter. I mean, I think what's fascinating to me is like, as we were talking, like efficiency is obviously the big thing. Every company is going on a diet right now. And then at the same time, they're like, I'm going to get on a treadmill and I'm going to put it at an incline pace and I'm going to see how much work I can actually do and how much better I can get. I guess like when you think about trying to become more efficient, what are some of the things that you have been doing or are doing to try to either improve efficiency or drive that? I mean, User Gems is a relatively young startup. So just a few years ago, when I joined, we were bootstrapped. So the culture of the company is very bootstrap centric. So for a long time, we're, we were told that we were one of the more efficient, if not most efficient startups, even though we raise money. I think it's just a part of like the DNA. 
having said that, obviously there's always rooms for kind of like, okay, where with the demand being lower on the new business side, how should we, it's not so much trimming the fat, but reallocating the capital to the pockets of growth or expansion that we see, if that makes sense. It does. No, it totally makes a ton of sense. Well, I guess like when you think about the big initiatives that you're running now that are helping you reach your goals, I mean, what would you say those initiatives are? So the first one is a lot more on the customer advocacy side. In the past, a lot of people think about customer advocacy is like a nice to have. Customer marketing is usually an afterthought. But what we've been seeing is, and coincidentally, because we were just thinking of like, who's the best people to talk about us and how well the product works, if not our customers. So we kind of like ad hoc, creating a bunch of like video snippets of customer just candidly react to our product or saying like how excited they were when they like generated revenue, et cetera. And we just start running those on social and those tend to perform better. And then we start using that on ads. And these are like not high production, very candid, sometimes like very blurry <laughs> and pixelated. So what we start hearing from our champions, from those testimonials is people start reaching out to them directly. So this is a dark social thing to ask for more references. And then when they submit demo requests, they also put it, we have a field that say, how did you hear about us? Optional. And people start writing in, they would mention like different testimonials, like customer advocate stuff that we've been doing to drive um, their demo requests. So we've been focusing a lot more on that front. And interesting enough, recently I heard from a net risk customer and she mentioned to me that, hey, I know that we're going through a rough patch right now, but I've seen a lot of testimonials on social uh, from you guys. So if it doesn't work out this time, then it's 100% on us and not on you guys. Oh, well, that's nice. That says a lot because there are a lot of things we out of our control. But when you buy time and trust like this, then there's a higher chance of reactivation. So we start seeing some companies coming back. So that advocacy you're doing out there, and I think it's great because like you're using the advocacy and you're using raw video. I think it's interesting. I try to tell my clients, like, listen, if TikTok is hot right now and the videos on TikTok are like real, they're not like high polished, that literally tells you that consumers in the marketplace want raw video. So like stop trying to have this perfect video and spending all this money. Honestly, if you just get a Zoom video and you even screen record it, you're doing great. So it sounds like that's working for you. So you, you mentioned these goals and stuff like that. You've got to be more efficient. You're focused on this post-sale stuff and you're still trying to grow the company. I'm curious though, like what is some of the major initiatives you're using right now that are helping you reach these goals? Yeah. I mean, the, one of the main channels for our pipeline and revenue is the account-based program. It's actually the first channel that helped us grow to where we are. So it was like 90, 95% of our pipeline and revenue for a while. And then we start adding on like other programs. So that one is something that I'm still trying to figure out, like how to make it more effective and more efficient and continue to scale as we grow. Mm. Do you drink your own champagne there and like use your own product? Yeah, yeah. So the way we do it is, as I mentioned earlier, like UserGem is like a, this dynamic contact database with relationship insights packed in, right? So for us, when we run our account-based program, we identify the list of accounts we want to go after, like most companies. And then user gems enrich those accounts with all the key persona that we need to reach out to. And that becomes the foundation that we put into our ad audiences on the campaign side. And that's also the foundation that push into outreach to help with SDR with prospecting. So that's kind of like we, we use the user gems for that piece. And then we also track our own champions, our own customer as they change their jobs. So all that insights also flow into, again, the ad campaigns and then the outreach side, just so we can tailor the messaging and trying to break into those accounts. 
Now, would you say, and I think this is really cool because like user gems, it helps you know when somebody changed jobs. For us, even our own consulting company, like we look for when there's a new VP of marketing because they'll bring us in, we'll diagnose their stack, we'll help them figure out their stuff and push them forward. So this seems like a big part of your strategy. Would you say like knowing that somebody changed their job is a key driver of net new for you? It's one of the drivers. It's not just the like the key sounds like it's the only one, but it's an evergreen campaign that just run all the time. So whenever any of our champions change their job, they Im- immediately see our ad saying like, congrats on a new job. We missed working with you, et cetera, et cetera. And then those contacts immediately added into our, what we call UG for UG sequences, depending on the relationship and persona, et cetera. And the first email immediately fired up. I say, hey, congrats on your new gig. Here's a little gift. We're going to miss you at the last company, but hope to stay in touch. No sales ask. That email sequence is insane. It has like 90 something percent open rates and I think like 24, 30% response rates. People love it. And then the next step after that is like another 14 or 30 days. That's when the sales rep circle back like, hey, hope the first month went okay. I'm here if you need me for anything. Just a quick refresher. This is what we do. And is that email sent through user gems? Email sent through outreach. Okay. So you have an integration with Outreach and then it enables them to be able to kick off that sequence. Yes. Oh, interesting. Say I'm a customer of your, well, say I'm not a customer. So like you're just tracking me because you got me from Salesforce, right? So let's say I'm in Salesforce. I'm not a customer. I'm a prospect. So you just know that. And if I switch jobs, somebody's going to get a notification about that or there's just going to be something that kicks off. So if you switch up and you land in a target account for our ABM program, then we prioritize that account for uh, like a full-on ABM campaign. Then the ABM campaign, this one, we have like more elaborate ad creatives, et cetera. And then we also reach out to you and your peers. Because like I mentioned, we have the three musketeer in every deal. So we always multi-thread with the SDR and also with the AE, even when the deal is um, an open op. So it sounds like your product, User Gems, is enabling you to understand people are changing their jobs. You've got Outreach, which is doing the outbound for you, sending the emails, managing the emails. And then you have Lavenders that are all... <laughs> Lavenders. You have Lavender, which is ultimately making it so that you write good emails. But I'm curious to kind of understand, like, let's say that you have somebody in the middle of the funnel, you're reaching out to them and things like that, and you're not really getting a lot of stuff. I guess like, what initiatives are you running at the middle and bottom of the funnel to kind of help push these leads forward? So uh, for the middle and the bottom of the funnel, so I mentioned earlier that we run multi-threading ad campaigns to kind of bring people in. So I'd say that that's kind of like the early stage of the middle of the funnel. And then as they get closer to kind of the finish line, then we run a lot of customer testimonials, a lot of we have a lot of snippets from our users that say like, I love UserGem because of X, Y, Z. Uh, we use a tool called Laudable to capture like candid reaction on gong calls. What? How do you spell this tool? Laudable? Laudable, L-A-U-D-A-B-L-E. I like it. So it plugs into gong and I'm pretty sure they use some kind of AI to kind of pick up words that capture emotion. So they pull out those clips for you. And then the only thing you need to do is reaching out to the customer or the prospect and, hey, can I use these snippets? And it's usually a more authentic reaction. So we use the, we run a lot of ads and social with these type of video snippets. And for the middle of the funnel, we definitely put all those middle, bottom of the funnel um, opportunities on those campaigns to make sure they see it. So that's pretty cool. So you're, you're using Gong. It sounds like your team's using Gong. And then Laudable is helping you like grab these advocacy programs, these testimonials, and then you're now using those in your advertising. So I'm curious, like how, how have been the success of that campaign? 
So we market and sell to marketers and sales and SaaS. So these folks are savvy. They know to not click on any ads because they don't want to be cookie. But these are the ads that get so many likes. And sometimes they even recognize the person in the video snippets and start responding, commenting on the ad. So they're like, hey, this guy's awesome. Or this gal's awesome. It's really interesting. That's, these are the only ads that we get reactions. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. The top of the funnel, one, they like our ads, but they're smart enough that they don't click on it. They just open a new tab and Google our name. So we have a lot of direct traffic. <laughs> but the middle and the bottom funnel, people actually engage. I want to rewind for a bit and talk about the job role tracking strategy. This is an amazing way to acquire clients. When somebody lands a new job, they bring in fresh perspectives and have different challenges that they have to solve. By keeping an eye on these transitions, you have the opportunity to reach out to the right prospect at the right time. Trinity obviously uses user gems, but multiple companies offer this tool. And we use Lucia here at McGaw, and this helps us find out when somebody is starting at a new role. There's other tools like CommonRoom.io, LeverGrow, and as well as, of course, user gems you should use. User gems is really good at this. But the key point here is that when a leader starts at a new company, they're going to buy new tools and services. Not to mention, probably fire some of their tools and services and possibly even reduce headcount. So there's typically a lot of change that's happening and it's a really good time to reach out to these leaders. When somebody starts a new role, make them a new prospect. You can send out a quick note, congratulate them on the role, make sure that they know you exist. Make sure that your message though is personal and let them know how you might be able to help them in their new role. Don't make it salesy. Make it like authentic and personal to them, right? The more you come off like a salesperson, the less likely they are going to be responding with you. So make sure it's genuine, a way to build a connection and open the door. And this can help supercharge your outreach efforts. It worked for me at McGaw. It's working for Trinity at UserGems. I've seen it work in a lot of other places. So definitely check it out. Let's get back to Trinity on multi-threading and talk about some of the issues she's faced. Let's start with the sales side because I think the sales side is a little bit easier to understand and we can circle back to the marketing side. So the sales side, so from the SDR, we have a rule of always reach out to at least five to seven people per account. So our ICP is in mid-market to enterprise. So that's not an overwhelmingly large number. We just have to select some people. And the cool thing about user gem, and I'm getting a little bit like nerded out about this one. I love it. So in the CRM, like say, if I'm going after um, Google, I'll go to Salesforce under the contact. All the contacts is actually grouped into the first box is these are all the contacts that have relationship with you. Second box is these are all the new hires. And the third box is all the new promotion. And the last box, here's everyone else that match your target persona, but don't have any relationship with you. So from the SDR standpoint, it's super easy because then you can just add directly into different ABM sequences based on these already done for you. So that's on the multi-threading from the prospecting side, just to break into the account. And that's in user gems that they see all this data? In Salesforce. Oh, in Salesforce, they get to see all this. That's super cool. Yeah, they can do it in user gems too. But I think Salesforce is just, we spend a lot of time on Salesforce. That's our single source of truth. So and that, then I have to ask, I have to, I hate to interrupt on that. Where the hell do you get all this data from? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we use publicly available information. So I think LinkedIn is the number one because it's self-reported when someone changed their jobs, but also like Google, Bing, et cetera. There's a lot of sources out there too, but LinkedIn is definitely the most reliable one. So these SDRs in Salesforce are able to see all of this information and then they can choose to put them in sequences, it sounds like, from an ABM perspective. Or, or maybe you said ABM buckets. So it sounds like you're an ABM tool, but I'm curious, like you're not sending the emails, right? So those are going through outreach, you said? 
Yeah, I wouldn't call Use the Gems a, an ABM tool because there's so many ABM tools out there that helps you with dynamic advertising your, your target accounts. We're not doing that, right? We're providing the data, the insights to make your job easier. And then you can segment and use whatever tools you want to advertise. So we help you. I think it's a little bit different than a lot of like ABM tools like Demandbase and Sixth Sense out there. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you have all these people, like somebody changes a job, you're tracking user gems. You use this to be able to, of course, build your leads list and build your ABM stuff. So you got Dan, you put me in ABM, A prime, whatever you call it, group. What's the process that happens there? Like, how does that all work? How does an SDR actually close something? So the SDR, so we, we already talked about like them adding you into the different prospecting sequences, right? On the advertising side, when we advertise to people, because we have literally a list of people that we're trying to advertise to like row by row in Salesforce, when we upload that list onto like LinkedIn advertising, our match rate is between 75 to 90% match rate. We know exactly, like sometimes we have like some weird demo request coming from a certain campaign and we can open up Salesforce to see, did we advertise to this person? So that level of visibility gives me some good night's sleep knowing that we spend our money in the right people and not just like throw it to the black box of the ad platform and hope that they advertise to the right people. So we advertise on that front. And then when it becomes an open opportunity, then AE takes over. Then the AE also does the same thing with an SDR, kind of like going to the account and open that list of contacts and start multi-threading as well. On the marketing side, we set up like some parameter because the contacts, right, then you have the title. Then we also automatically categorize those titles into persona and seniority. So marketing, direct and above, et cetera, et cetera. So based on those fields, it helps us create ad audiences for these personas. So if there's an open up, I'll ask like an open up with a sales leader. Then our ads will show to the marketing and the ops people at those companies say, hey, someone in your team is talking to us. Do you want to join the conversation? And that helps the sales team multi-thread easier instead of them just, you know, cold emailing other people within the buying groups. And that, we did an A-B testing last year because nobody, when I talked to marketers, nobody really believed that it's worth the investment. So we did an A-B testing. We turned off for half of the open up to not showing the multi-thread and we let the other half run. And we found out the win rate is higher the deal size also higher and the sales cycle shorter, even though there are more people involved in the deal. So right now, 100% of our open up gets multi-threaded on the ad side and on the sales side. So going back, you know, you had talked about, you know, naturally you have these people who are getting these email sequences and you have an SDR who's emailing these people, excuse my language, but spamming them and lack of a better way of saying it, because that's what it is. They didn't solicit this email. And then you also have an account executive who's trying to email them. And when you send cold email, even warm email, like making sure the message is on point is really important. So I guess like with this multi-threading, with all these things that you're doing, like how are you making sure you're hitting the nail on the head when it comes to the messaging? Yeah, absolutely. We created like a number of key sequences so that the key messaging stay consistent between all the reps. But then that's, so that's kind of like the foundation because we don't want a situation when someone creates sequence and the subject line is, I have your wallet, just to boost up the open rate. And then the content is, haha, just kidding. But since you're here, why don't you evaluate our tool? I've seen that. This is not a made up story. I saw it. So for, that's from the the foundation. And then the next step is our team loves using the tool called Lavender. That helps our SDR team draft the kind of messaging that makes people want to reply. 
And being a marketer, and I feel really bad saying this, but you can tell as a buyer when an email is written by marketing team tend to be a little bit verbose, colorful language, could be like half a page long. You're lucky if it's only a half a page. <laughs> Emails that convert now is like three sentences, 50 words. Sometimes like, yeah. yeah. So lavender is incredibly helpful for our team. And this is something that I keep reminding our team to keep using lavender all the time. And it's been so successful that now the ADRs and the SDRs don't send out emails unless they get at least 90 score by Lavender. So they always have that plugin pops up when they write an outreach and then Lavender scores you. So they don't send out until it's 90. And we have new SDR joining. And in the part of the interview process, he's like, I'd love to use Lavender. I used in my last company. Can I have that as a part of the negotiation when he joined? But like even now, like now I'm thinking of getting the rest of the marketing team to install Lavender so that we can write better email marketing. I think that's great. Like I'm totally on board. And you're 100% right. People, marketing will write an email and I'd be like, hey, listen, you know, you wrote four paragraphs. You're talking to the CEO of a $300 million company. Do you really think they're going to read three paragraphs, four paragraphs? They're like, okay, I'll get it down to one. And I'm like, no, no (laughs) paragraphs. Like no paragraphs. Uh, So I totally agree. And sales will sometimes type an email and sometimes they'll miss the empathy part. So I think that's really cool. So it's helping you write your email. So I'm interested. Have you ever read the book, The uh, Challenger Customer? Have you heard about this book? I heard of that, but I have not read it yet. So it's interesting because like multi-threading is what the book is all about, right? So and like, how do you manage a multi-thread sales deal? And like, it's something that everybody right now, like if anybody is trying to sell something in an organization now, you need to be multi-threaded, but you should read the challenger customer because at the end of the day, it talks about like who your champion is, how do you deal with the buyer committee and like, how do you run that deal? But multi-threading can be really bad because now you've got six stakeholders who all have to make the decision. And a problem you have when you multi-thread, and I'm interested to hear your opinion here. The problem you have with multi-threading is when you're talking to sales, sales is like, I need SQLs, I need pipeline. And if marketing's, marketing's like, I need personalization. And then RevOps is like, I care about BI. So they're all anchored in these different places on their priorities. So when it does come time to make a decision, they're on three different pages. And in multi-threading, you need to get them aligned around one priority. So I'm curious in your marketing, are you like saying the same thing to each one of those different personas when you're multi-threading? Is there different personalization? Like help me understand that personalization or non-personalization. Really good question. So for us, we do uh, run two type of messaging when we multi-thread. So one is just, just because the nature of the product, we know it's going to touch these three teams sooner or later, either pre-sales or post-sales. So I think that's a benefit of the product that people can understand that how it benefits them. But in the messaging, we do personalize because there's different use cases. Some customers depend, if RevOps leading the evaluation of user gem, they might have like different use cases than say marketing, trying to fill top of the funnel. So we do tailor our messaging on the multi-threading. Hey, you could use this tool for XYZ too in addition to ABC, but that team is already leading the evaluation, but you can also benefit from it. Maybe because of what we do, we haven't seen a lot of conflicting priorities, but what we've seen usually is people want like, hey, it benefits you too. Why don't you give me some of your budget? So people pulling in their budget to buy a tool. I love that. And that is one of my my greatest strategies. I want some money from you. I want some money from you. I want some money from you. That way you can pay me a whole lot more money. So I think it's great that you're doing that pulling between departments. There are a couple cool things I want to jump in for a moment and talk about. 
There's an obvious trend in user gems approach and it's casual and effective messaging. Trinity is super cognizant not to come across as, let's be honest, an annoying salesperson or marketer. We heard it in their use case with Lavender.ai. It's helping their team actually write better emails. Lavender is a super incredible tool that you can add to your stack and it basically rates your emails and measures its effectiveness as well as helps you optimize the language for the person and then as well as for mobile optimization. There's a lot of other cool things you can do with the tool. I recommend checking it out. But going back here a little bit and talking about reaching out to prospects as they change the roles, getting the messaging right and imbuing the right amount of empathy or excitement is important. I said in my last thing that we need to make sure messaging is good. Lavender can help you out in doing this. Personally, I've used things like ChatGPT to help with personalization and rewriting emails, but I think Lavender has a much, much more focused approach here for you. The other thing is, is that Trinity talked about video testimonials. I know people love video testimonials and they can be a little heavy handed to create, but a thing where a lot of people are getting it wrong is they're doing highly produced and inauthentic sales videos. You need to kind of change your game here. With the all new TikTok and Reels and all of this different short form video, the style of video that people want is different. They're expecting more low quality, they're expecting barely edited videos, they're expecting authenticity, and this just makes it feel more real. And some of the best videos I've seen on LinkedIn for testimonials are cut on a webcam. So like really, really simple stuff. So don't always waste your time with over editing. Simple videos, even webcam videos are gonna accomplish the job. Even one shot with your iPhone at a conference is gonna get the job done. This is why Trinity is using Gong and Laudable together in such a smart way. Gong is going to be a great way to get the quotes from your customers from sales calls, customer success calls, and things like that. And that video is usually a little raw and as well as it's not prepped. So it comes across so much more real. It's a really simple solution that can have big and impactful results. So let's get back to Trinity. She had a bunch more to talk about. Great that you're getting the engagement. That's super cool. I think it's funny you mentioned like, listen, people don't want to click on it because they don't want to get targeted and cookied. So you're getting a lot of direct traffic. How are you attributing this direct traffic back to that video to know it's successful? Painful. Great question. Um, so we have this optional field. So this is the only piece, we, the optional field where people kind of like fill in, like, how did you hear about user gems? And they would start writing. And some marketers are so generous, they would write the entire journey into that box for us, where they heard about us, community, and then Google search, here's a keyword, blah, blah, blah. So that's one way. Another way is in Gong, they will mention where they heard about user gem from. Um, and the sales team is pretty good at like flagging that to the marketing team. So pretty manual. It's not an easy way to capture this, but... I think it's good enough for us for now. I'm curious now in Gong, when like, I don't, is it the SDR or the account executive who's doing like the initial calls? Uh, the intro calls is uh, AE, account executives. Okay. So when the AE does their call using Gong, are they like required to ask, like, how did you hear about us? Is that part of the script or? Used to, used to. Right now, it just like, we haven't enforced it as much, but usually it's self-reported. Just kind of like in the bantering. Come on, what brought you here? How's your life, et cetera. I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard about you because my neighbor is using you or something like that. Yeah, which, <laughs> hey, I need more of those neighbors to be quite frank <laughs> if they're in MarTech. So that's pretty cool. So I guess like you, you mentioned Gong, like just to make sure that we, we're on the same page. You oversee the SDR team and then sales oversees the AE team, right? Yes, so you're using Gong as a marketing leader to manage SDRs. I mean, and tell me a little bit more about that. A little bit, not as elaborately as the sales team. I actually like use Gong more from like capturing messaging, how people describe our solution. 
because a part of the intro call is like, uh, how did you hear about us? And tell us more about what you need. And people kind of by like trying to explain what user gem, what they think user gem is. And then also describe about their key product. So I use it more for product marketing, so messaging. Less so on the SDR. We use a different tool for SDR. So, And then uh, the sales team kind of use it to manage their performance. The SDR team uses Orum, O-R-U-M. That's a cold calling tool. And that integrates into outreach. We don't integrate into Gong, but our SDR manager or director, she would spend time in Orum and kind of like the same behavior with Gong, like managing and coaching the team. But this is specifically for cold calling. What is Orum? Like, help me understand this now. It's a power dialer. Okay. So it's just yeah. a, is it just a dialer or does it do more than that? Uh, it has analytics. So I think it's kind of like a gong for power dialing. Okay. Mm. Yeah, dial for dollars. You know, the favorite thing <laughs> of what everybody loves to do. I've done that myself. <laughs> I get it. So you're not using gong necessarily to measure them or see what they're doing. You know, I think it's interesting because a lot of people forget about recording calls for their marketing messaging, right? So like, I think that's super, super powerful. I always tell my clients, like, listen, if you want to have a high converting webpage, record your client feedback calls and use the language that they're using. I guess I'm curious though, like if I'm in the funnel and like I'm talking to an account executive or I'm a hot prospect, what other initiatives do you have to continue to push these people in the funnel and down the funnel? So we use gifting quite extensively across the revenue teams from SDR to AE, um, marketing too, actually, and the customer success. So I know that you asked about like pushing someone like already in the pipeline down. So that's gifting does help because, you know, you're asking someone for their time. Like sometimes RevOps, like RevOps is always the most overworked team. So coming into like a, evaluating a new tool is just another thing that they have to do, right? So we usually like, hey, can we buy you lunch just so that like, you know, we can kind of like discuss user gems together. But for us, gifting is embedded in a lot of things. It's just embedded directly into our like advertising campaign, some of them. And the SDR sequences is like a link in like a bunch of like different email sequences. And then the AEs will use it and the customer success obviously use it for like special occasion, thank you, et cetera. So we use Postal a lot. Interesting. And Postal is their main thing, gifting, or do they do other things? They do gifting. So they're like a software they have uh, and they partner with other vendors and warehouse, et cetera, to manage the whole entire experience. But um, what I like about them is they have this feature called smart links. So essentially you can create as an admin some collection that people can send out. So you can choose from this gift A, B, or C and as an admin. And I put that link in all the SDR sequences so they don't have to go into postal and choose a gift themselves if they don't want to. And it just blasts out. So you can scale a lot easier. I guess like I'm curious, like what's the most like successful gifts that you've sent? Like, is there a trend or a pattern? People usually like Amazon gift cards. I know it's like super overused, but people still like it. It's, it's practical. People feel like warm and fuzzy when we have like a user gems, new baby gift set for new parents. So, <laughs> so people usually like that a bit more. Socks still pretty hot. <laughs> I, I'll always take socks. If you have socks, you want to <laughs> send me a link, put me in the funnel. I'll take the socks all day long. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Like those tend to resonate well. We used to have like customized champagne and things like that. But for some reason, these th th those three, people like them more. <laughs> Man, that was a good conversation with Trinity. Let's wrap up though, and let's talk about a few of the takeaways. First, I wanna make sure that you are multi-threading your deals. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. 
The concept of multi-threading, it's not new, but it is coming back in popularity, especially as we go into this economic push. Multi-threading became more important back when we had the financial crisis. I would say over the last 10 years, it kind of took down because people had money to spend. But now that we're headed into this recession or whatever you want to call it, naturally, multi-threading is really good. We discussed this topic before. Uh, if you go back in the episodes and check out Narula, he's the VP of BizDez at Sendoso. We went pretty deep on this, so definitely recommend checking it out. Trinity talked about this from a high level. So what they're doing is they're connecting these different departments and this opens up the possibility of kind of budget pooling. So you can get money from sales, marketing, product, customer success. And by adding these different departments into your deal, it can also add a lot more money to the actual budget since they're able to pull from different places. But I do want to make sure you need to be careful when doing this because it can cause the deal to stall, can drag the deal out, and actually can make it a lot harder. So go back, check out that Narula episode. I advise you to listen to that one. But a really good book here about this is The Challenger Customer, an amazing book. If you've heard about The Challenger Sale, The Challenger Customer is a great book that digs into this. And that book is extremely data-driven and will layer on to what Trinity is also doing as well as what Narula was doing. So if you want a data back process and you want a playbook on how to get this right, definitely go check out that book, check out Narula's episode, but maybe just rewind and go listen to what Trinity said. The next thing is when somebody starts a new job, it is a great time to make them a prospect. Now, it's hard to track like when your leads in your system change jobs. It's not always the easiest. It's usually easier to just identify a new prospect starting a job. But this is a great way for you to really be able to make sure that you're adding new people to your pipeline. Trinity drinks her own champagne here by using user gems and Salesforce to do this, and then naturally does a lot of outreach. And it was super cool to hear how user gems makes this possible for Trinity and her team. Last, you got to make sure your content and your messaging is resonating with your customers. Your messaging matters. Really, it is messaging, messaging, messaging. And this is where I see most companies really fail. It doesn't matter how much automation you have in your stack. If your messaging sucks, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have a shitty campaign. You got to remember, banner blindness is a problem, right? And I feel with the amount of shitty cold emails I get, I probably get more cold email than I actually see banners on the internet. And the generic kind of sales emails no longer work, right? They get trashed, they get sent to spam, and you don't make a lot of success. You've got to personalize that email. It should be clear, it should be short, but it needs to be perfect for your ICP and the messaging that they will care about. And you got to make sure it's tailored to the person you're actually emailing. You cannot just send a generic email and expect to get a response. Also, don't send me three-page novels about how your company is revolutionary and innovating the society and all of these things. Speak to my problem. Tell me what my problem is. Tell me how you fix it. And I'll probably pay attention. Why don't you go back and do some research on like where I went to high school or college and tell me a little bit of how we're related, right? That personalization really catches people's attention. And I loved how Trinity is using Lavender AI to make sure that her outreach emails get as many interactions as possible. I think Lavender is a great tool. Definitely recommend it for people out there. But there's multiple other options you can check out. I know Grammarly has some features on this, which is pretty cool. There's also a tool called Chris knows. We used to use that here. So definitely check those things out. Now, the last thing I just want to reiterate, stop overdoing your video testimonials. Just do a simple, authentic video and use that out in public. It's going to be a lot better. Trinity was using Gong and Laudable. So I think that's a great way to do it as well. Uh, so definitely check it out. That's what I got for this week. Definitely make sure you subscribe. Leave us a rating so we know how we're doing. But I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks so much. <laughs>